0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing, incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really excited for this one because I get to sit down with a good friend of mine, Casey Zeman. Now, those of you that don't know Casey, he's the founder of easy webinar, you know, the the huge webinar software that everybody uses out there in order to sell their products and, you know, disseminate their information. He's literally the creator and founder of that software. So he's this super successful tech entrepreneur whose real superpower is knowing how to sell. And I mean, sell really well, especially from webinars. And we are going to teach you guys that art of selling from webinars or really just selling, you know, anything that you have in any modality that you have. But before we do, I want to remind you that some of you have been emailing me asking for VIP days, which is really exciting. And if you have not heard what a VIP day is yet, it's where you come into my home and you get access for an entire day to me and my entire team to dig into, brainstorm, recreate, relaunch, totally like epically grow your business that you already have. And it's really aimed at people who have already gotten over that six figure hump Uh, probably, you know, multiple six-figure hump who are looking for new income sources, new ideas, looking to streamline, looking to be more profitable, looking for bigger audiences. It's for the people that want to tap into anything that we're doing and have us do it for your business. So if you're curious, all you have to do is send me an email. Email me at chris at fortheloveofmoney.com. Put VIP day in the subject line so I know to read it. And all you have to do is tell me a little bit about your business and what your goals are. So again, email me at chris at com. Put VIP day in the subject line. Tell me about your business, what your goals are. And if we think that we're a good fit, then you will come out to my home and my team will be your team. And you will leave with a radically different business after one full day with us. All right. So speaking of radical businesses, Mr. Casey Zeman is just this all-around great dude. As a matter of fact, you want to know my favorite thing about him is how he worked so hard to adopt his children. It's such a great story, and, and we talk about that story in this interview a little bit. I think you're going to be inspired. And his generosity. He is such a generous dude. He lives what this Podcast is all about. And that is when good people make good money, they do great things. That is exactly Casey in a nutshell. And you got to remember, he's the founder of Easy Webinar. So he's like this mogul that is killing it. Matter of fact, he, well, you'll find out in the interview, is in the process of selling part of his company, which is like every entrepreneur's dream. And he's actually doing it. So we talk about not only his backstory, But how to price your services, how to price your products, where price comes from. And you're going to have some eye-opening, shocking moments in there when it comes to pricing your products. I guarantee you will leave a better entrepreneur because of this discussion. We also teach you how to sell, especially using webinars. I would venture to imagine that 90% of you, I know it's a big number, 90% of you that are listening have great products that could be totally sold using webinars but you don't even know the art to doing so. And so we dig into that so that you can discover it and try it yourself, because I promise you could probably double your sales if you started using the art of selling on webinars. And I don't even feel like I'm good at it. And so I felt like I was learning as we had this conversation and you will too. So I'm really excited. Take some notes, get ready, pay attention, because this is one of those episodes that could totally radically change your business and therefore change your life. So let's get going. All right, Casey, my friend, how you doing, bro? I am doing well. How are you, Chris? I'm great. I'm glad that we finally made this happen. You know, we've been in the same mastermind for, was it two
1: years now? Yeah, it's going on two years now.
0: Okay, we waited way too long for this, but it's meant to be. <laughs> yeah. I know it because you have some awesome stuff to talk about for all the listeners. But here's kind of how my podcast works. We start with rapid fire. It's just a fun way for people to get to know you in a hurry and, and kind of get momentum going. You down for it?
1: Yes, nervous and excited about it. Like I'm not, sure <laughs> say, but I'm totally down.
0: Nothing to be <laughs> nervous about. There's no such thing as a bad answer. All right, here we go. Uh, okay. Let's start easy. We'll warm you up. Where did you grow up?
1: Ah, okay. Uh, Michigan. I grew up in Detroit, and then you know, went to school at Western Michigan University and traveled all around.
0: Does that make you Lions fan.
1: Um, my, yes, uh, to a degree, like my, my dad is, is a very big sports guy. So it was lions, tigers, you know, we were, and, and hockey was, was a big one. Red Wings, you know, we were fully down.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. And where do you live now?
1: Uh, here in Los Angeles.
0: Awesome. And what is your favorite quote?
1: Jeez, favorite quote. Um, there that, now that is a good question. Um, That is a really good question. I know,
0: right? There's a couple, uh, couple stumpers in here.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, I'm going to come back to that one. What is one of your superpowers?
1: Super one of my superpowers, I guess, I would say a superpower is uh, being being able to to systemize experiences for people to where they can well systemize people's businesses to where they can use good communication tools to to where they position themselves uh, in the right way consistently all the time, and then they can generate clients from it, they can generate sales from it, and technically it's supposed to work on autopilot. So you use the power of engagement and automation together to work to find the right clients and to work less while earning more.
0: And you've totally mastered that, which is one of the biggest conversations we're going to have here today. What's one of your favorite books? What should everybody read?
1: You know what? If we get simple, I like The Alchemist. I mean, I think the message mm, behind me it is, is, is awesome, um, and you know, and we're all on this journey ourselves. So yeah.
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, going back to your favorite quote.
1: Um, okay, let's see. So, God, um, man, you you I, I you know what? This is the problem because I I never have a, I don't have a favorite quote, um, and I hope that's an okay answer to, to to say because I feel like in any any moment. There is going to be different scenarios that I that come into my brain, different points in my life, and at different points in my life, different quotes mean different things, right? Uh, for instance, like choose one thing, right? Um, essentialism, right? If you think about that book and and how it's like, you know, one, one piece of advice I was was given is choose one thing, right? And uh, and I was just having coffee with a friend of mine. We were talking about this because some people, you know. We we take a bit of we, we take something like that and we apply it and it might not work because our brains don't work that way mm-hmm. where we can just do one thing maybe we need three or four things to have our brains actually function so it's interesting when you ask me my favorite quote because I don't have one um, well while at the same time I think the the things that the books I read or the things I consume at the moments in my life that I consume them apply um, and right now. Uh, Let's see what might apply. I, I would say right now I can say essentialism and choosing one thing, but that, that used to be one of my favorite quotes, uh, choose one thing, you know, but now I think it's, it's, you know, i I look at three or four different things because that's what my brain needs right now. Like always to have three to four different things going in my life to where I am challenged and I'm, I'm, each one serves its purpose. I actually
0: love that answer because I'm actually laughing over here. You can't see me, but it's because it's one of those questions where it probably is always changing. And I know a lot of people, they feel bad that they can't rattle off their favorite quote. So what do they do? They go out and they search for some quote that sounds good and they start telling people it's their favorite quote. And deep down, they're like, what's wrong with me that I don't have a favorite quote at the tip of my tongue? So you actually just gave people permission to be themselves and did not have to run around with everything at the tip of their tongue. A couple more rapid fire questions for you. What is one thing that you're afraid of right now?
1: Oh, what am I afraid of? You know what? To, to uh, not be able to, um, to 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 not be able to to protect my family, mm. uh, to not be able to have um, enough for my family to to uh, you know to I think that's the the answer. I
0: love um, that answer. Who is someone who's changed your life?
1: My wife. I love it.
0: Mine too. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far?
1: Uh, bringing my two sons home from Haiti that we adopted. Yes,
0: that was. You know what's interesting? I know it wasn't a, a great time in your life leading up to it, but it was. It was fascinating for everybody on the outside looking in, knowing the process you went through. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Yeah. The, the, in February was my epic journey, uh, bringing them finally home after three and a half years and just bribing officials, trying to get them home. And it was just, uh, one of the, the hardest, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, getting them home.
0: That's amazing. One regret that you have in life.
1: Um, when I was an actor, uh, you know, several, you know, in a different life, I guess, um, or this life, but I was always an artist never really good at business as an actor. Um, and I regret that it took me having to move away from acting into business to be a good business person because if I knew business, uh, if, I, if I had all the skills of, that I have now in business when I, as, an, as an actor, I know that I could have made a different, I, I could have probably written a different story uh, for myself. However, at the same time, it would never change where I'm at now.
0: So. I Love it. That's a good answer. And last rapid fire one is this: What is something generous that you have done recently?
1: Something generous that I've done? Um, you know, I don't really. I, hmm, that's a good question. Um, generous that I've done? God, I don't think I've done anything generous. It
0: could be your time. It could be your money. Or maybe that's what we have to talk about.
1: <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Like I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I just you know, this meeting, I, I met with my friend, he was like, you know, you've done a great thing adopting these kids. And I'm like, what do you I, I mean, maybe, but at the same time, they are fulfilling me with everything. So it's like, it's hard for me to say that that is something I've done generous, because to me, these are there, they are there's so much reward in in these children. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we if we talk about it, I have raised money for hungry children in Haiti, because it has a very, very, very personal connection for me, because my children were, of course, malnourished. They were, they were um, you know, they, they had parasites and all sorts of stuff. So that is something that I continue to, uh, to, to uh, work towards, like orphans and hunger in Haiti is a very specific thing that, uh, that we always sort of support. See, this is
0: fascinating. And here's where we're going to go deeper in the interview. And instead of starting with your story right now, I'm going to go right here because obviously it's called For the Love of Money. We talk about generosity and the role it plays in your success and, and what you do and all that stuff. And yeah. you, your first reaction was, I haven't done anything generous lately. And the reason why you had that reaction is because you, are, you feel like you're receiving a reward or fulfillment or you know more back than you gave by having these two beautiful children in your life. Except you saved two human lives. Very likely you spent a ton of money and time doing it. And what came out of the process is your realization of what is going on over there. And now you're raising money for that. And you, your answer is you're not generous. Isn't that
1: fascinating? It's I think, I think, yeah, to a degree. I think a lot of us don't even want to take I think some people will take ownership of their generosity and some may not. Um, and to, to me, uh, you know, this 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 journey has has it, it's been so uh, amazing uh, while at the same time, you know, uh, it, it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And, you know, I just I don't know, I, I think that that creating a true impact in one's life, I mean, starts with getting deep down. Like, I guess, the you know, if you if you asked me five, six years ago, if I was going to be adopting kids, I would say no because it was never my intention. It was my wife's. My wife has always seen, she was always, she always said, uh, my first choice is to adopt because there are so many kids that need families. And mine was, you know, hey, I, I wanna see my own kid, you know, a biological child. I wanna see me and my child, you know. And and, uh, and I came to my own, like my own journey for um, to understand, you know, what was at stake and, what, and and I had to come to the decision of adopting on my own, you know. Uh, and this is always the case when when two uh, people come together, typically for adopting, one is more into it than the other. I came to the realization at one point that I needed to raise raise the stake. So we were looking at adopting out of the country, and we did that because we wanted to also uh, adopt from a um, somewhere where that that, that that those children needed homes. Yes, in the United States, there are kids that need homes and one hundred percent people should be adopting here in the u s. but we wanted to go somewhere where even the best conditions are are, are still worse than the the, the um, worst conditions in the United States, and so we we chose Haiti because it's the poorest country in the uh, you know Western Hemisphere. And I needed to raise the stakes in what could happen with those children for me to adopt them. I I, I said the alternative if I don't adopt is that these kids could die, because that same orphanage lost fifty children in the. Um, In the earthquake yeah and so that was what my brain needed to do to be able to rationalize why i needed to adopt that i whatever comfort i was going to be putting aside you know or whatever discomfort i was going to be feeling is nothing compared to the loss that to the to the extreme potential of these children not having homes starving and dying and so i said to myself i had no option i have to adopt and by doing that that switched the conversation around, right? But while we were going through this process, I suddenly realized that that as much as we were coming in to help them, to, to bring them in here and give them a life, you know, they were feeding us too. They were giving us so much, and they've given us so much. And so it's hard for me to say, what am I generous? I mean, to say that that is something that, you know, is a, is something that I've done that's generous is... Yes, maybe, but at the same time, they've done so much for me. It's it's just so the I guess it's the the definition of what gener- generosity is because to me, I'm getting so much back from everything that we've put in.
0: Does this make sense? It makes perfect sense. This is the conversation we have on this podcast all the time. So, god, did this go in a, a divine place like Casey, listen. At the end of the day, generosity doesn't mean you're sacrificing something. Generosity is not a zero-sum game. Generosity doesn't mean, well, I have to make sure that I'm still suffering over here. I got to make sure that, you know, I'm losing something for this act to be generous. It is absolutely still generosity if you happen to gain something at the same time. Let's say I go down and I volunteer down in Skid Row like I do once in a while. You know what I get out of that? I thoroughly enjoy meeting some of the people, some of the other volunteers asking about their life. I thoroughly enjoy feeling like I'm making a difference. Um, Selfishly, I feel like I'm doing it to make sure I stay plugged in to how other human beings have to have an experience on this life so that I don't, you know, remain sheltered in my little perfect bubble here. Those are things of self-gain, but I don't think it takes away from the generosity of me spending a half a day down there setting up the tables, setting up the food lines, handing it out, having those conversations. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I hundred I, percent. Because when I when I do something of good for somebody else, it it is kind of a like a selfish. It comes from this like desire to feel good, right? And so, but at the same time, it it also directly impact somebody else. And so I've, I've had different moments in that, whether it's coaching, you know, or whether it's, you know, helping people set up the, the, the perfect funnel or something like that or, or yeah, I mean, just get, having, getting results for somebody is that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's beneficial for them, but it's 100% feeding my ego and the, the sheer fact that, like, it, the, the, the more successful somebody is, the the more I feel super impacted by that, right? And if I can help them, then that feeds my that feeds my ego. Like I was able to do this for somebody, right? And so it's this. You're right. It's it's not a zero sum game. It's not
0: at, at that. Yeah. It, we might have found a brand new quote here. Generosity is not a zero sum game. Like think yeah. about it. People will write me all the time. Like I'm so grateful that you you know get these guests on, that you share all this knowledge for, for free, and that you're not charging for the podcast and stuff. You know, as if it's some great selfless act. And I'll write back all the time, like, are you kidding me? I love this shit. Plus, I'm going right. to try and sell you something at the beginning of every episode. Like, So <laughs> yeah. I yeah. totally feel like generosity does not have to be a zero-sum game.
1: Yeah, it's so true. All That's
0: right, so right. let's go backwards a little bit. By the way, that was an awesome conversation in itself. Well, um, you. you mentioned it. You started thank out as an actor, you. Yeah. and you actually got some shows. Like, You were making like three grand a week for a while, and then um, it turns out you didn't quite like it. I'll let you tell the story. Then you got into real estate, crushed it, but didn't yeah. quite like it. You got kind of got your butt handed to you like Laurie and I did during the recession. And then here you are today. We'll discuss later the CEO of this epic tech company that big things are happening. So paint that journey for us a little bit.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, like as an actor, like I, I loved the the industry itself. Well, no, let me, let me take that back. I love being an actor, but yeah, I completely said the wrong thing. I love being an actor. I hated the industry (laughs) because, um, as an actor, even if you're doing work or even if you're a creative person acting, you're still held within a box because, uh, you know, they are going to pigeonhole you into what they see you are. Right. But as an actor, typically we're creative people. Um, And, uh, and I always found that to be the problem is that I was this creative person, but I was still put in this box. And I also hated being a broke actor because even if I got shows, even if you did a show and you got paid, you know, Uh, X amount for doing the show, at the end of the day, it was never a consistent paycheck because you're still held to somebody else's, um, you know, you're still working for somebody else, right? Even if you got on, I know I have friends that get on um, on network shows. They, you know, they are the stars of that show. and And it lasts for three years if they're lucky. And then what do they do at that point? You know, they're looking and searching around just like anybody else. And so I just, I saw that, but at the same time, you know, I, I thought to myself, I just didn't want to be in that broke position. So I pivoted to real estate. So I'm, I'm, I was someone who's creative, but still loved the idea of money. I still wanted money. Right. Uh, so creativity wasn't necessarily enough. I needed to get paid. And so I went into real estate and uh, I think you and I talked about, that we had similar businesses. Like I, I was a real estate broker and, um, and at the time, you know, I was making money, and 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 I, but I felt not good about it. I just didn't feel right about how I was making the money I was making. You know, I was making maybe you know, two hundred fifty k a year uh, for you know for several years, and then you know I, you know, so we you know, bought the house, and I did the whole thing, and and then suddenly when the recession hit, I went from that to making fifteen thousand the next year, right? Uh, and I almost lost my house twice, and I had to figure something else out. But it was a blessing in disguise because I wasn't happy with what I was doing, um, you know in in that uh, in that business. So I went in and I started looking online at online marketing because I was planning on le- learning how to figure out how to build leads online for my uh, mortgage business. So I still held held that concept in my head, and then I thought, you know what, maybe i'll I'll become a financial advisor. and And so I was looking at all this stuff, trying to build leads online and it, it actually drove me into going into a completely different career of online marketing. I started learning about it, so I started doing it, um, but I wanted to choose one thing. I got this advice from a friend, choose one thing, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to jump into YouTube, so I became a YouTube consultant, a YouTube expert, and I started uh, doing work for clients, just doing consulting, 2K a month, uh, every month you know, with retainer business uh, with a handful of clients, and then suddenly getting bigger clients like Estee Lauder, Dell, HarperCollins, and, and then having this notion, this romantic notion that I always wanted to create a course online. So I then sort of was pivoting myself from consultant to product creator, and all the while, I mean, it took me six to eight months to build an online course. I called it YouTube Revealed, and after all that time of building it, I just couldn't sell it at all. I had a tough time figuring out how to actually, you know, what to price it, what the price was going to be for it. Anyway, eventually I realized that I saw some friends doing these things called webinars and, and, I, and I thought, okay, well, that's cool. So there's a live events where I can actually talk to the audience and, uh, you know, and pitch my product. So I started doing them and I sucked at them big time. Um, <laughs> it's like live free webinars where I'm just, you know, telling people, you know, just t- trying to give advice and and after I was doing them free for a while, which I was stuttering too much, just sharing a bunch of stuff, my, you know, my doing terrible audio on it. And um, After a while, people were like, do you have a product to sell? And I was like, well, yes, I do, but I, you know, I just wasn't ready to sell it. And, and uh, so they told me that they were ready to buy. So my, I started doing more of them, and I, and I remember selling my course first for like $97. And bear in mind, this was a, a course that I spent eight months building. Put my heart into. I built. I wrote a book called YouTube Revealed. It was 225 pages long, um, and just so much content about what I learned about YouTube. Anyway, I I, I realized early on that I was underpricing my program. Um, I had people that consumed it said, "You need to charge more for it." So I went from 97 to 197, and uh, and then I, I I I had a couple other people say, "This is worth way more than that," and. Um, and so I started doing sale, selling on webinars, um, and I, I realized that I can increase my price and actually sell more. That was some of the realizations that I was having because I I remember one of my first webinars, a guy promoted me and I sold ten units at one ninety seven, and he was like, "You need to increase your pricing, and you can't. You should not share so much information." So because I was bad at doing webinars, so. Anyway, I increased my price to 297, and I doubled my sales Whoa. Uh, when I started doing webinars again. And then I had another guy reach out and say, you know what? I'd love to promote this product. It's really great. I want to sell it at 997." dollars I was like, really? Shit, I don't know if I can do that. And he was like, you can do it. Trust me. And so I added like a little bit of a coaching element to it, right? Everybody gets an onboarding coaching call for like 30 minutes, let's say. And... I sold that at 9.97 and I made the same number of sales as I did at 2.97. And I and I realized that this was my journey of of valuing my own time and realizing what people would pay for online products. And so in my first year of doing online courses, I I earned enough. I earned the same amount that I did in my real estate company. So like $250,000 is what I earned like in my first year of doing this stuff back in like 2000, I don't know, 12, 12 13, something like that. And it was all from webinars and that got me on the new journey of realizing that I wanted to do more than just create courses online. I wanted something else like tangibly that I wanted to help people with. So I thought, let me, I want to look at building a webinar tool uh, because it helped me so effectively. Right. Um, And I love video. Right. So it just kind of made sense. So we conceptualized what's, what is called an evergreen webinar, which uh, is an automated webinar. It's a, it's it's a webinar that's streamed in real time without you having to be there. And so we created a tool that we called, back in the day, Easy Webinar Plugin, which was basically a WordPress plugin that allowed you to stream out your perfect webinar presentation with the experience of live, right? We weren't trying to dupe people, but it did have this stream in real time experience that could be streamed in our attendees' local time zone. So someone in Australia, if you come to the page, or one of our registration pages, It would show like 2 p.m. That would stream at 2 p.m. in Australia. Otherwise, you know, typically for a live webinar, if I'm running a live webinar here at at 2 p.m. Pacific, it's the middle. It's well, it's the middle of the night for some countries. Right. So I can't get everybody showing up. So these automated webinars were became a solution for getting a more of a worldwide audience. Right. And getting more leads coming in.
0: This is fascinating. And this is really what I wanted to have you help all the listeners with is selling using webinars. I know Lori and I are missing out on this and it's something we're going to explore, you know, like yesterday. Um, We've attempted a few times, but, you know, by no means have tried to get quote good at it. But you said one thing in here that I don't want to skip over. You said you basically said you can sell for higher prices on webinars than you can when you're just kind of selling using social media or, you know, an email list or something like that. And you gave your own example where this 197 course, someone said, "Nah, sell it for 297," and you did, and nobody blinked an eye. You sold the same number. Then someone said, "Hey, I want you to sell this thing for 997," and you took the same damn course with the same damn information. You added an onboarding call, and you literally 5x the price of that course and sold just as many once again. So, talk to me about people pricing their courses because I know that you've had a lot of experience in this and you've done your own journey with this what should people consider when pricing their online courses
1: oh man yeah i mean i've gone through my own journey and this is what we deal with clients on a daily basis uh because we're always all about just increase your pricing increase your pricing but at the same time the people we try to work with are people that have actually gotten results for other people now that's what pricing is based on results so a result can, doesn't have to always be a monetary result it can be a life-changing result like someone losing weight right if someone loses you know if someone is like like you know super overweight where it's they have serious health risks and then suddenly they lose 150 pounds what is that? what you know what was the result of that you know is that a life-changing result that that person had well maybe they found a spouse maybe they found a the career that they've wanted to do because they have the energy to look around for it right maybe you know they've done x y and z that have changed their life and that's what pricing should be based on so if someone has a you know a weight loss uh program you know they're always like ah, i'm not sure what to charge here i'm like well what results have you gotten for people and even if you've just helped your buddy you know, or some one-on-one work that you've done with someone, they've never paid you a dime, but they got life-changing results, that you can hang your hat on that. And I think a lot of us don't do that, right? So the results that I've gotten, even before that course was built, I was basing it on my consulting jobs, the things that I was doing for the people I was doing them for. So like, you know, for instance, I I helped a company get to the first page of Google uh, by using YouTube and that got them like 800 leads. And, you know, uh, from a money standpoint that, that, um, that helped one of their campaigns like hit seven figures. Right. Um, so it's like some of I was using what I did previously for other people, but I based it on the results. And so that's what pricing should be based on. It should be based on what you, the results you can get. Um, and, uh, and so that was, this was my own journey of like, okay, but I didn't know what the market would bear selling online. But that's why I, I went all in on YouTube because I realized that video bridged the gap of impersonality. So I was doing, you know, impersonality found on the web. So I was putting video out there so that people would recognize me. And, and then webinars, that allowed me to build a know, like, and trust and spend about 30 minutes to an hour on a live workshop or workshop experience with them to where then I, I you know, I crafted why this program is going to get them results, you know, and who we've gotten results for. And then that's when, you know, I finally was able to sell the program and course, but I, I had, i uh, had to get other people to say, Casey, I want to promote this, but you have to sell it at a thousand bucks.
0: I love so just, the part where you said, this is kind of a breakthrough for people trying to price a course where you said price it based on the results that you could create, not on what you think you're worth in the more in the moment.
1: Yeah, because that's what everybody thinks. Oh, I'm I'm I, I'm just starting out, so I'm not worth anything. But it, it has to be based on what you've actually done, right? Even if that's something that you've done where no one paid you a dime, because everybody equivocates money with value, but that's not necessarily the case, and that's what stumps a lot of people from actually charging anything. I just I, I wrote a Forbes article all about this. Um, and I mean, that that was one of the things I mentioned. It's like you, you have to be basing it on results. And that result doesn't necessarily have to mean that someone paid you to get that result.
0: God, I freaking love it. You just freed up a lot of people right there. Let's take one further step into webinars now. Mm-hmm. Why are webinars so effective at selling? Who cares what kind of product you have right now? And why should people be doing them?
1: Because they, they inherently position you as an expert. Even though I sucked at doing webinars, like I would stutter and I would share way too much information, it didn't matter because I it was, was still
0: effective. Like even when it, you weren't good at it, you were good at it?
1: I was not good at it. Like again, I had like, you know, maybe 200 people on a webinar and it sold 10 units of a uh, $2,000 product, or uh, sorry, t- uh, 20 units of a $200 product, right? It still made money, but I, I could have probably, well, no, I sold 10 units of a $2,000 product, or sorry, 10 units of a $200 product. I'm not saying that right at all. I sold $2,000 on a webinar that had 200 people. Now, technically, I should have probably sold 20,000 on that webinar. But even if you're just starting out, you can can do well because it only takes two things. It takes sincerity and value. If you are 100% yourself, right, and you show the value in what you have, right? So show the results that that your product or your service can have. You can get clients. You can sell units of your program. And you can do it even if you're not that good at speaking on stage or speaking in public or speaking at all, because pe- there's an audience ready for you, no matter who you are, right? I always had this idea to write this book called like The, the Stutterer's Guide to Public Speaking, because... <laughs> Like we all have that audience, you know, even if I was, I I was kind of like Woody Allen when I would do my, my webinars, I was that bad. I was like, so, so what, what, what I want to share with you, you know, so it was like, but people connected with that because it was real, you know,
0: this is so freeing. People are, I, this, this podcast in itself right now is so dang valuable for everyone. I love what you're talking about. Now, why is it though? Why is it that you can sell for a higher price and a way higher conversion when you're selling via webinar compared to anything else?
1: Because people feel like they're, it's like a virtual handshake, right? People feel like they're staying connected with you. And on a live webinar, oftentimes they can ask questions, right? They can, you can connect with them. You can say, hey, Ted from Milwaukee, Jane from Nova Scotia, you know, it's X, Y, and Z, right? And that connection makes people feel like it's more one-on-one than it actually is. It's the one-to-many, right? Mm. And the one-to-many is very powerful. Um, it's a way to position you. And the other side of this is, is, you know, if you're taking 30 minutes to an hour, you are taking someone on a journey of highlighting the problem and pain point they're experiencing and a solution that they haven't heard yet, that they're, that they're ready to say, like, take my money, right? They're like, this is awesome. I, I haven't seen this solution yet. And I have this pain, this inherent pain. So if you know what your audience's pain is, cause that's that you need to know that, if you know what it is, then you're taking them on this journey of discovery as to the solution to that pain and your program or your service is that solution. That's why people are willing to pay the money because you're you're taking them on an experience over a 30 to 60 minute period of time where not only are you highlighting and shedding light on the solution, but then they're getting to know you. They're learning who you are. They're maybe getting to see the personal side of you. You know, Like when I do a webinar, I have to talk about my journey, but I only talk about my journey as it relates to my audience. So it becomes a relatability. I'm not just like blowing smoke and talking about all the good shit I've done. I don't talk about that. I I talk about my journey because you may have experienced the same thing. And so if I'm in your shoes and you're in my shoes, then you're connected to me on a deeper level. So by the time I'm selling to you, you're like, you're ready to buy because I am putting the solution in your lap and the only thing that's between the solution and 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 you is you know a thousand bucks right so that's where people will pay and i don't think a lot of that can come out in an email i think video is just the perfect way of doing it and so what we try to do is use evergreen or or automated webinars to 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 duplicate that experience right to where people feel connected to you but it's, it has a higher perceived value than just a replay video alone or video, right? Because now it feels more personalized. People have to show up for that time to, to come to the webinar. Um, they can ask questions. Uh, you can deliver different things at any moment during that webinar, like a PDF guide or you know, or, or an infographic or any, anything that will give them some sort of you know, education that will get them closer to to feeling like you are, you you know, you are there to help them, right? And that's, that's the the, the whole idea of it is that you're building a relationship with people. And that's what a webinar does from every element of it, from you just doing the video to maybe delivering different things that will help them have aha moments. And the idea behind the webinars, by the end, they have these, you know, a full on aha moment to where they want to pay or buy something or get on a strategy call with you into your 5k to 20k program. And that's the journey that that happens on a webinar.
0: God, I love this. It makes sense why it converts so much better. So what are your two or three or five, whatever the perfect number of tips that somebody should know, because now they're all excited, right? They're like, Oh, I'm gonna do webinars. How, what should people know? Like, how do you have a successful webinar?
1: Yeah. I mean, like I have a whole like six steps to a high converting webinar thing that I do, but at the same time, I try to, before I even talk about that framework, I I say that only two things you need to know are, do you have to have sincerity and value going into a webinar? If you have sincerity and value, you can, you, you will do well, right? Because I've had people come to me where they've gone through a other people's webinar programs, right? And in those webinar programs, you know, they had you know slide one, do this, slide two, do this, right? Everything was slide based, and I had people come to me and say, like, we just we sucked at this. This didn't even work for us, right? And I said, well, maybe it wasn't necessarily like what you probably tried to do is fit yourself, you know, uh, a round, uh, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole, right? That maybe didn't resonate with you. So when I've worked with other, when I've worked with clients before, um, you know, I said. I want you to take this framework, but then I want you to find your, well, how you make the best connection with people, whether that's you getting in front of the camera or, you know, or you just being in slot on, on a slide presentation. Right. And so I, I I kind of change it up a bit. And I, I just think that first off, those two points are super important, sincerity and value, but the bigger thing, if you, if you really want to discuss this, it's you need to be able to know exactly the problem and pain point of your audience, right? That's the first thing. And what you're gonna be doing is, you know, when you first start a webinar, you're going to be making a connection with people. You're gonna be talking about what you're gonna be discussing. So you're gonna be creating an expectation of what they're gonna learn because that gets people to stay on the webinar, right? So you start off the entire webinar with, hey, what's up, this is Casey. I'm so excited we're gonna be uh, sharing this time. We're gonna be sharing about an hour's worth of time. So I'm setting up an expectation based on time. And we're gonna be doing this. I'm gonna be teaching you how to move from you know, A to Z, right? So that reiterates what they're gonna be experiencing. And by the end of this workshop, you'll be able to X, right? So so all that is intended to keep them there because otherwise they come to the webinar and they may you know, get distracted with so many things because our, our attention span is absolutely nothing anymore, right? so you have to be able to keep people on the call and, and so what that's kind of the first thing i call it like building a buzz getting people excited about the webinar even before the webinar starts right kind of getting excited and uh, and and, and that keeps the butts in seats and then from there um, from there it's about getting personal with your audience and so it's at that time is when you start to talk about your story your personal journey as it relates to what they're experiencing, because chances are these people were you three to five years ago, right? And so you were going to talk about your journey as it relates to them having a sort of aha moment. So for instance, you know, I will talk about how uh, I was always really having a tough time with selling my products. This was true, you know. I, I talked about like selling my YouTube course. I was never able to do it until I started using webinars. At the time, though, you know, webinars weren't that popular and there was – all these, these typical solutions for selling your course, you know, um, you know, going and, uh, you know, going into forums and posting your links of your program, um, you know, uh, you know, going to going to the, the local chamber of commerce and talking about your program. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and, and so you, you, you paint the picture of the common solution, the solution that they, that typically people hear, but then you talk about the uncommon solution, which is that that aha moment that you had. In my case, it was webinars. And guess what? I'm se- I'm going to be selling you know my my software all about webinars. So that's why I talk about it in my p- webinar to people, right? So you you talk about the solution that they're used to, and then you uh, reveal the uncommon solution. Okay, right? let's
0: inspire some people right here because you just brought it up that you're going to be selling this software, right? So first you learned how to sell using the software, then you built the software. Now you're selling the software to people and and then you may even possibly be exploring a sale of this company. Is that right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we built easy webinar, uh, plugin, which was a WordPress plugin. And then from there we went into, uh, we turned it into a SaaS program, right? Uh, software as service and, uh, fully hosted and it became a live, it's now a live and evergreen webinar tool, right? Um, and, you know, so we took that journey. And uh, um, it, my, I, I guess my, my journey was going from product creator into a software CEO. And that's been my journey since uh, probably 2013, 14. And, um, and so we had a lot of different things that we did with pricing it and and everything else. Um, moving, moving it where it was a yearly. First, we, we charged lifetime access to it. And then we charged it, for a yearly price program, and then uh, obviously we've, we've moved into monthly now. Um, but yes, um, you know, because I've been on this journey, you know. Typically, um, I, you know, this was just a software tool under my own company. So, you know, and I don't know about you, but like, I was never really good with being a, like, you know, I, I was saw my my business. I was never a really good CEO, right? And I think that was uh, what my journey is, has brought me to, because in this, you're just a
0: good operator, right?
1: Yeah, I was good at, 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 you know, sort of just doing what I was doing. Right. But I never really dove into the, the finances. I never really picked apart our growth. I never really, um, looked at our, our, you know, expenses and, and tried to just be, just tried to scale up, uh, our business even without partnerships and things like that. Right. But for the last two years that was the biggest goal to just be able to make our company you know solvent super solvent by by not necessarily relying on a ton of of partners and affiliates right um going in and changing our onboarding process keeping customers long you know for a longer period of time changing our pricing to keep customers changing our our complete you know system to keep customers so that's been the journey and then on the business side you know we we actually formed a C corp. I was always an S corp, but we formed a C corp, and we started just doing things the right way. And at the beginning of this year, we we started to set up the business uh, for because because a good business should be set up to sell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's when we started to figure that out and realize that. So we started to set up the business with uh, with the with the potential for possibly selling it later. And yeah, and now at this point, you know, we are, we are, we're at a point right now where we have a, um, potential buyer, um, and we're in the process of, uh, you know, going through our due diligence phase right now. Um, and, uh, and actually this deal is, is interesting because this isn't a, a full on acquisition. This is actually a majority share, uh, a majority share, uh, buyout, um, or a majority share, uh, purchase. Where I'm still going to retain 33% of my company, but someone else is coming in, a bigger company is coming in uh, with with huge, huge uh, amounts of resources to where um, it's going to do some really cool stuff with our, with our tool. It's like some serious uh,
0: best case scenario for you. What's that? This is like a serious best case scenario for you.
1: it it is because, you know, at first I was selling it outright, but then I had this fever dream at one point. I was like, I don't want to give up all of my, you know, my my baby because I have full ownership. So I I then went in and um, I I talked to the guy and we ended up uh, striking up a, a, you know, a scenario where um, I became a partner in this and I only gave up a majority of my share while still holding a third of the, of the business. But at the same time, uh, we're, we're adding a few other um, software tools into this, lo- this larger company now. Uh, so my, so our business is actually going to evolve um, into a rebranding and it's going to have a few more software tools added to it. And so our valuation is going to go up at the same time automatically because these other products that we're, that we're also purchasing uh, under this new business are already generating recurring revenue. Right. And so it is a good it it is an ideal scenario because not only am I getting paid for the, you know, the buyout of the majority share, but I'm also keeping a good portion of this new company that has my software tool rolled in, as well as a couple other ones that are just going to be benefiting the bigger market.
0: Oh, man. You know, number one, I'm so inspired by you. And and, and number two, just so proud for you. So where can people find your training on how to sell with webinars and where can they find your actual easy webinar uh, software?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you can actually, uh, well, if you go to at Casey Zeman on Instagram or you go to easywebinar.com, currently that is where you'll find Easy Webinar and anybody who comes in Easy Webinar where that tool is not going anywhere. So uh, that's the the beauty of this. But um, if you want to learn, yeah, if you want to learn about the training that I have all around webinars, you can go to my Instagram and in my uh, description, you will find a link to a workshop that you can access for free that talks all about how to sell high ticket uh, programs from webinars. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. um, we're going to make sure we put the links to all of those in the show notes. Guys, go check out the show notes at for the love on this episode. And you can go check those out. So Casey, I've got one last question for you and I ask everyone this question is such a great question about entrepreneurs. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and or wealth?
1: Oh my God. Because at the end of the day, you have to 100% believe in yourself. There is no one else that you, 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 you don't have, you may have other people in your life that support you and that are soundboards for you, but at the end of the day, you have to be 100% in belief of what your own uh, expertise are, what your own products are, what your own abilities are. You have to just own your, that, that, that superhero self. You have to be that. Um, and you're going to wake up mornings where you don't feel that way. But at the end of the day, you need to know that your shit is the shit that will help people. And if you don't believe that, no one else is going to believe it. You have to believe it. Um, and that's why you have to be unapologetic. You have to just, if if you don't feel like you are taking 100% ownership of the things that you are capable of doing, then if then people recognize that, right? People see that. You just need to you just need to know that you know your shit backwards and forwards, right? And feel confident in that. I mean, I I know that a lot of us, you know, we don't feel confident every day. And a lot of us, you know, yes, we. There are days where we're like, I'm I'm winging this stuff, and most of us are. Most of us are like, you know, are just children playing, and we're like, you know, we're we're seeing results. But that 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 everyone is like that. You know, you not feeling, you know, not feeling like you're that 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 ultimate expert is, you're not the only one feeling that way, right? So you just have to, at at the beginning of every day, just take ownership in what you know, right? And just realize that there are so many people that are just like you. So just go in with feeling confident about what you do, how you inspire people and results you get. And, and take ownership of, of the business that you have.
0: Oh man, Casey Zeman, thank you so much. Um, we'll put the links to everything in the show notes. I'm so grateful for everything you taught. People could literally just listen to this one episode alone and change everything about their business and about their sales. So I can't say thank you enough, buddy.
1: Chris, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: Man, seriously, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me.